Welcome to this sermon from Silver Lake Baptist Church. Our mission is to celebrate the greatness of God with all we are for the joy, hope, and renewal of our community. We are so glad you have chosen to listen to our message. We pray you will be blessed by your time with us today. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, look, I remember to turn the mic on. Thank you. That's all I did well today. It's a good thing. So we gave uh, Pastor James a day off, I guess. I don't know why. So my question is, have you ever been in a wreck? Okay. Or at least seen one. See, I, I think a wreck of any kind is kind of scary. It's definitely terrifying. I mean, your, your nerves are shattered. You don't know what's going on. You're all kind of freaked out. And, of course, naturally, what do you do next? The nice thing about it is that in a car wreck, you know, the paramedics are going to show up. People are usually around, hopefully. And then, of course, there's other types like, you know, a, a train derailment. Of course, that usually happens around cities and towns. So, again, hopefully that people aren't hurt, things like that. Then, of course, there's plane crashes. Now, that could be terrifying, terrifying, but, of course, naturally... Unfortunately, statistics show that a lot of people don't survive those, so there's really not a lot of prolonged agony, you know, those types of things. But I think, to me, one of the most terrifying is a shipwreck. A shipwreck because you're out there all by yourself in the water. You have to long wait. The passengers and crew have to endure. And, again, it just... You don't. There's no medical. Nothing's going on. So you're you're definitely on your own for a long period of time. So in Acts 27, where where Jim started us off on uh, last time we were talking about, was uh, it's probably one of the most recognized shipwrecks around, um, at least in our in our history that that people talked about. And the Apostle Paul was on his way to Rome. Is also one of the best told, most detailed shipwrecks. Uh, in, around that you've ever you can read in history. So that's what we're going to go looking at today and continue on with that. But let's, let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for this time together. Again, we thank you for all that you do for us and continue to do for us in spite of ourselves. Father, Lord, we just thank you for being with us. We thank you for uh, uh, life lessons. We thank you for uh, shaping us, molding us in the way that you have and that you continue to do so, that you uh, didn't just start and live, leave us alone. Father, we thank you for loving us and giving us uh, friends and family that are around. And we pray for those who uh, are going through things and are going to go through things. And Father, this, thank you very much for this time together. And we thank you again for this beautiful weather that you've given us that we're able to uh, you know, just enjoy uh, a little bit of sunshine left until we can't. <laughs> and Lord, we thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, like any good book that left us on a cliffhanger, thanks a lot. <laughs> Let's remind ourselves where we were. So, having a, appealed to Caesar, Paul was put in custody of a Roman centurion. His name was Julius, and he, he was placed on an adamantian, adamantian that's what, something like that, ship. Uh, it was on its way to Italy, where Paul really wanted to go in the first place. Being a Roman citizen and obvious gentleman that he was, he was well-liked. Uh, many people he encountered respected him. And so he kind of got away with a lot of things, really, that most prisoners wouldn't. Paul was allowed to take along his companions, Luke and uh, Aristocaris. Um, and, and with that, I mean, naturally, he got to, you know, he was treated so well that he actually got to go and visit, you know, friends when they 
uh, disembarked. Um, so far, so good. Everything was really good. I mean, it's just a nice little trip that they were going on. But, of course, naturally, he was still a prisoner. <laughs> so it is what it is. But really, from that point on, everything went downhill real fast. After leaving the sit-in, they had to sail up to around Cyprus rather than straight towards Italy uh, in the west because of the, the winds were contrary to the way they were sailing, meaning that they were sailing, well, in my perspective, they were sailing this way, but the wind was blowing this way. It wasn't really an easy way, easy way to go. And uh, so when they, when, they, when they left, of course, it was like I said, it was hard. And finally, they landed in Asia Minor. Uh, the centurion transferred Paul and all their other prisoners and everybody else into a large Egyptian grain ship. The, the typical grain freighter was about 140 feet long and 36 feet wide. So, pretty decent sized ship. And it had a 33 foot draft, typically. That means that's how far it sat into the water. And, of course, naturally, this, this boat um, was sturdy. It's nice, well built, but it had its disadvantages. It had its disadvantages in the high seas, and um, first of all, it had no rudder like a modern ship. It was uh, steered by two great paddles in the back. Secondly, it only had one mast, one big, gigantic square sail. Um, and of course, like I said, its most significant drawback was that it uh, couldn't sail into the wind. Departing Mira in the freighter, they reached nearby Sinedis, only with, uh, of course, a lot of difficulty. They were forced to sail south under the shelter of Crete, so that with, uh, with that they uh, reached Crete's small port of Fairhavens. According to uh, Acts 27, 9 through 10, Paul um, had said when they were, well, as he started, you know, because he was an experienced traveler. He'd been around for a long time. And he warned the centurion that they should stay in Fairhaven because you know, it was a good port. It was nice and uh, quiet. It was going to be, it was actually in the lease, so of course it was uh, out of the wind. And so it was decent. I mean, it was also just uh, after Passover, which mid-October. Now we know here, mid-October, the wind starts to blow a little bit, it gets rainy, it gets a little bit hectic. Kind of similar things happen out there um, a little bit too, so it's, it's not really the time to be really traveling a lot. And everybody knew it was dangerous. Um, it was going to be a dangerous voyage to make uh, uh, that time of year. But because Fairhavens was uh, a small and rather boring port, I mean, after all, these guys were sailors, and they, wanted to, they were looking for a good time. There was not a lot of women there, of course, and uh, not a lot of wine in Fairhaven. So really, Fairhaven wasn't the desired place uh, to be, and nobody wanted to be stuck there uh, for the winter. So they began to weigh their options, you know. They wanted to look to, to their new next move, and then, of course, an enti what they called it an enticing south wind kind of blew. So like, ah, maybe we can actually make it now. So that wind kind of influenced the captain to think a little bit, and he said, so I decided to take a chance and set sail for a much nicer, more entertainment-filled port of Phoenix. Phoenix was the place to be. It was the happening place. It had a lot of things that they wanted. And it was only about 40 miles. Now, 40 miles doesn't seem like a long way, but in a boat that only probably best with maybe a little favorable wind, five, maybe 10 knots, not very fast. So 40 miles is going to take a while. And so they're off, they decided. However, once they were underway, it seemed as if all hell had broken loose. 
Any of you all been there before? Everything seems fine. And then all of a sudden you find out it really wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't as good as you thought. According to Acts 27, 14, the sailors had a name for this kind of storm, Iroquillo. From their point of view, uh, they called this uh, uh, kind of a, a, a beast, the Eurocyclodon. And it had been watching from the top of Mount Ida, you know, just waiting to, to take them. It was the, the home of Zeus, and it was going to attack them, some kind of a, a entity. It was going to drive them to destruction as it was. Now, the battle was on. They were in the grips of a, a deadly nor'easter. That was driving them across the length of the Mediterranean. It says this in Acts 18 to 20. We'll recover that. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When, they, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Have you ever been seasick? Motion sick? Imagine what that would felt like, just a thousand times worse. How did it make you feel? Well, besides queasy, I mean, you do. There's nothing. I mean, there's nothing to hold on to. You're, oh, you're in, the, in the grips of it. So I can understand what uh, their despair and why they wanted to give up. The dangers faced 276 crewmen and passengers. It just got worse and worse. So with great difficulty, they secured a, the dinghy, then uh, proceeded to pass great ropes around the hull, which they used them to tie the ship together, basically just kind of holding it together. The next day, they threw over the cargo and cut away the tangled gear that littered the deck. Day after day, for 14 days, with no light of sun, no light of the sun of day or the stars by night, they just sat there and just went with it. And again, like I said, they, they gave up hope of being saved. See, so they occupied what, they, what you would consider a ghost ship. That began climbing and then falling back down to the, to, the, to the sea and then climbing again, these giant waves. Can you imagine that? So we're going to look up, we're going to start at Acts 27, verse 27. Now when the fourteenth night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were, they were drawing near some land. They took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. Things are getting a little shallow there. Then fearing, what le- fearing least we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. As, and as sailors were seeking to escape the ship, they were, they, oh, where am I? oh yeah, <laughs> uh, they, sorry about that. Fearing the least that we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the sailors, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the sailors cut away the ropes of the skiff and left it to fall off. As the day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore I urge you to take nourishment. 
for this is your survival, since not a hair will, will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. That sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? Then they were all encouraged and took food for themselves. And in all were 276 persons on, one, on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out what wheat into the, into the sea. When it was the day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. Verse 40, And they let go of the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosening the rudder ropes, they and then they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for the shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow struck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves, and the sailors' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose, and then commanded that those who could swim jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. Wow. That's a little scary. See, two years earlier, in Acts 23.11, Christ had appeared to Paul's cell in Caesarea, and he told him to take courage, for he would bear witness to the Savior in Rome. This was an unconditional promise. See, Paul would go to Rome, no doubt about it, but did not, God did not promise that it was going to be a smooth sailing along the way. See, I had come to know, and through my lifetime so far, I'm sure many of you have experienced this too, that we serve Christ, and those who serve Christ, there will be some storms. Self-inflicted, some. Some not of our choice. But nonetheless, there's going to be storms. Hardships, high seas, breakdowns, trouble at work, all kinds of things. But through it all, you are his child. You can find peace and assurance, benefit and sustaining through the promise of God. See, just like Paul, God made us an unconditional promise. Hebrews 13.5, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. See, that's God's promise to us. That's not your mama's promise. It's not your daddy's promise. That's not your friend's promise. It's not your preacher's promise. Of course, that's definitely not your your government's promise. That's God's promise. See, so many times, those that you love sometimes will, um, and that you respect, you think you can count on some of those people. They'll show you these people in your relationships, conditional love. Say, I love you because of, or I support you because of. But praise God, his presence, his love, his embrace is with us unconditionally. He doesn't love you because of who you are. He loves you because of who he is. Matthew 14, that Christ came walking to his disciples on the stormy sea of Galilee where their, when their ship was about to sink. They were in danger precisely because they had followed orders of Jesus. He had told them to go out in the sea or go out into the lake, and they obeyed him. 
See, those who claim to follow Christ will always have smooth sailing, right? Nah. Those who say that are misunderstanding and misrepresenting the word of God. F.B. Meyer wrote, If I am told that I am to take a journey that is dangerous is a dangerous trip, every jolt along the way will remind me that I'm on the right path. See, Christ warned his disciples that they would face trials. But he assured them that he would be with them. The record of Paul's shipwreck in Act 27 is great, you know, intriguing history, but it also is a metaphor of what Christians experience in their voyage through life. See, Paul must have had to shout above the spray of the ocean and the howling of the storm, Man, you should have taken my advice and not sail uh, from Crete. But Because that would have saved, surely saved your life. And, of course, naturally the damage to the cargo and all the ship and the loss. He says, but now I urge you to keep your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Huge waves were battering the ship. And Paul's soul was cool as the other side of the pillow. Why? He was anchored in a way, in a way that the rest of them knew nothing about. See, every Christian can see God amidst, amidst life's storms as long as they're using the proper anchors. You can have courage in life's storms through the anchor of God's presence. You can have courage in life's storms through the anchor of God's presence. In the opening sentence of Acts 27, 23, Paul continued, Last night an angel of God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me on the deck of the sinking ship in a raging storm. Paul was anchored in God's presence and it was an ongoing reality for him. This was not the first time Dave, uh, Paul <laughs> experienced this assurance. See, in Corinth, Christ came to him in a vision. Acts 18, 9 through 10. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have Many people in this city. In, in Caesarea, Christ actually stood with him. He stood with Paul in the flesh. Acts 23, 11. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Later in Rome, according to 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17, Christ again stood with him. He said, At my first defense, no one stood with me. But all forsook me. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me. See, the, uh, there they were west of Crete with these giant mountains of water. See in that picture. Actually, probably even worse than that. Ocean on all sides of them. See, God was opening their eyes. They actually would have seen angels gliding on that deck. They would have been seen protecting him. They would have been seen holding him and comforting them. But they couldn't see because they didn't understand yet. How do we become aware of God's presence? Pretty rarely do we actually hear him actually talking audibly, 
through the but through the steel, uh, steel silence and assurance of the Holy Spirit and through God's holy word. Staying alert to his presence with us in the middle of the storms is key. It's key to our spiritual health and our courage. When we're anchored to God's presence, we will show amazing courage. When we're anchored to God's presence, we will... Definitely, <laughs> I wrote this weird. I wrote it backwards. We are anchored to God's presence. We will show amazing courage in the in the worst storms. That's what I was thinking. And just as important, when we're so anchored, we can sustain sustain others too. Just as Paul did, he strengthened. Jesus strengthened us. He strengthened Paul through his spirit, and he strengthens us through these times that we have to go through. So you can have courage in life storms through the anchor of God's presence and courage in life storms through the anchor of God's ownership. This one's hard for some people. I actually belong to God. Yeah. See, Paul mastered the storm because he knew he belonged to God. Acts 27, 23. Last night, an angel of God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me. He saw himself as God's property. How do we belong to God? Like a bride belongs to a bridegroom. The Song of Songs says, My lover is mine and I am his. In fact, the Bible often uses intimacies between husband and wife to illustrate the union of the Lord, us and the Lord. Ephesians 5.32, Paul's description of the marriage relationship, he concludes by saying this is a profound mystery or a great mystery but I'm speaking concerning Christ and the church see we belong to him in the most personal way he created us he knew us before we were even born like sheep to a shepherd Jesus said I am the good shepherd I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father See, we also belong to him like a child belongs to his father. I say that looking at my three kids. They belong to me until they don't. But because God put them in my charge. Paul was his father's possession and that truth so sank into his inner being that God, that he described God as the God whose I am. We belong to God because he bought us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. See, Paul traced God's possession of him not to the fact that God is the creator, but to the one act of divine love in which Christ gave his life to purchase not only him, but us. See, God's ownership enabled Paul to stand tall, in the deadly storm, his ownership of you will do the same. You stand tall because of who you belong to. You can have courage in life storms through the anchor of God's presence and ownership, and courage in life storms through the anchor of God's uh, service for God. See, Paul had courage because he was anchored 
in the fact that he was on business for God. The God whose I am and who I serve. He knew nothing could harm him unless God allowed it. And another storm on the sea, on the same sea centuries earlier. Jonah didn't have such an anchor. He refused to serve God. In contrast to Paul's witness, witness to his Gentile brothers and sisters, Jonah was tossed by the ship's crew. <laughs> All those who, were, who are in Christ, who consciously serve him as best as they possibly can, experience no assuring, such an assuring trust. This is one of God's gracious gifts to the committed people. And Paul knew it, too. This isn't to say that if you serve God, as I said before, we should, that we should not worry about anything. That we won't suffer at some point in our life. But no matter what, he has your back. Serve him and you will be rewarded. But that can't be your motivation to do so. Nor does that give you the free pass to do whatever pleases you without repercussion. Serve him and you will be rewarded. You can have courage in life storms through the anchor of trust in God. Paul told the others on the, that ill-fated ship, God's angel said, don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep your, up your courage. Men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. The reason Paul displayed such courage was that he believed God. If our hearts bear the anchor of the Lord's presence, ownership, and service, we'll be able to stand tall in any storm. Truly trusting God and resting in his power will enable us to brave that storm. See, there's an encouragement that he said. For we know all things work together for good. What good? For God's glory. See, in an impossible situation, Paul said, so keep your courage. Keep your courage, man, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. How many times have we been there and said, you know, well, I'll keep that faith in God, but I'm going to add my little bit to it. I will take care of myself. I will do this. How does it usually work out? Not so hot. See, Paul was anchored to Christ by faith, and that made all the difference in the world. The remaining story of the shipwreck reveals how Paul's example brought courage to the others. After Paul's encouragement before God saved them all from the sinking ship, things got even worse at that time, remember? As the darkness continued, the, 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 the sounding lines revealed the ship was nearing shore because it was getting shallower and shallower. In the final effort, the sailors cast off four anchors from the stern, and they, and they held. The men desperately prayed for daybreak. Some of the sailors tried to escape in the ship's lifeboat by pretending to lay more anchors. But Paul warned the centurion that unless all the men remained on the ship that 
to, to help navigate a, a landing, if you were, all would be lost. The boat was cast away in obedience to Paul and God and the God he served. Paul then encouraged them all to eat. They did, and their spirits picked up. I mean, I get happy when I eat, <laughs> especially chocolate. That's euphoria right there. Milk chocolate, not so much dark chocolate. Anyway, see, it says this in verse 37. Although altogether there were 276 of us on board, when they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. The daylight became, or the daylight came. They did not even recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. They hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. In this way, everyone reached land in safety. Sarcastically, I would have said, hey, weren't we told to stay on the ship? Where are you all going? When life gets rough, when the seas get tough, when the wind blows, stay in the ship. That's a metaphor. Don't stay on a sinking ship. That's crazy. But that means basically stay the course through life's ups and downs, that rough sea that it is. There's one other thing, though, I really kind of was intrigued about. That's in verse number 44 where it says, that some swam to shore, others made it on planks and pieces of the ship. In this life, every one of us is going through a storm. Sarcastically, or statistically, would probably, probably validate uh, street sense knowing that everybody in this building today is either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or possibly, for heaven's sake, headed for a storm. But listen... It's not how you come to the storm that matters. What matters is how you come through the storm. So don't let people make you feel like something's wrong with you because you have a storm experience. Just like in Job. Something's got to be wrong with him. That's why God's punishing him. Something's wrong with you because that's why God's punishing you. It's not the way it works. The Lord is just shaping you and making you, and molding you, and equipping you. He's gracing you for an even greater ministry, and a greater testimony. Some of us make it because we know how to swim. But just because you know how to swim doesn't not give you the right to look down on somebody else who can't. Some of them made it because they rode on a plank. Some of them made it because they wore on pieces of wood. Don't look down on them. They're making it through just as you did. Just thank God you both made it through the storm. The Lord knows that this was just another day in the life of Apostle Paul. Ho hum, something else to go through, right? <laughs> what a man. And what a God. No, one, not one soul was lost, and God's name was wonderfully glorified. Not one of them. Why are there storms and shipwrecks? 
God who controls the wind and waves can certainly have spared Paul in this situation. Well, we know that whatever God allows to come our way, he loves us and will give us sufficient grace to endure it and to remain faithful to him. Of course, sometimes a trial is the work of the enemy. The enemy will rise up a Eurocyclodon, or basically a typhoon in your, in your life. It's there to knock you off course sometimes. You'd be fooled by the calm south wind, thinking, oh, I can make that. Not realizing that the enemy has mapped out a plan to destroy you. But be encouraged. Peter, Jesus told Peter, Satan wants you to, he wants you, but I have prayed for you, that your faith fails not. See, your body may fail. No, really, yeah. You might not keep your courage in situations. Your spirit may fail. Your, section, your, your, your sense of direction, your discernment may fail. But whatever you do, keep your faith. You might not keep your head. Like I said, you might not keep your courage. You might not keep your cool. You might not even keep your conviction. You might not keep even your friends sometimes because circumstances. You might not keep your influence on others. But whatever you do, wherever you go, whatever you experience, for God's sake, don't, don't lose your faith. Keep it. Say it with me. I will keep the faith no matter what. What'd you say? I will keep the faith no matter what. It's a hard thing to hold up to, but that's all we got to do. God's with us. He said so. And when you're converted, strengthen your brothers and sisters. Peter's flesh failed, but thank God his faith held strong. Going through the storm and when you come out of it, strengthen others. The winds are howling, but I see him. The waves are bursting, but I see him. The ship is being rocked from side to side, but I see him. I shouldn't even be on this boat. I should have listened to the sound advice if I had only stayed in that safe harbor. Yet I see him. It's hard to imagine, but... Storms and shipwrecks can actually be for our benefit. Paul was a mature, mature in Christ, but he was still being shaped through the trials, just as we are. Each and every day we're shaped through our trials and tribulations. Minor things to major things. We're often object, objective-oriented. It means that we're there to see the end result. But God is process-oriented means you got to go through it. We just want to get to, the, get to Rome, but God is more interested in how we get there. Storms can also be of, uh, good for others, too. See, aboard the ship, people learned about each other very quickly. And you learn to thank God for the clarity of the storm. The imminent threat of death that the storm tossed that Egyptian freighter 
revealed the secrets of each man's character. And Paul was head and shoulders above them all, perhaps because they, perhaps many of them found Christ because of Paul's security and where he was. People will look for you. Those who follow Christ are like beacons to other people. Yeah, sure, they may not want anything to do with you for 90% of their life, but it's that 10%. When they're going through something, they'll seek you because you know they, they know that you've gone through it. And you had help. Sometimes storms come so that others will, will look beyond us to Christ. Are you in a storm right now? Don't answer it. <laughs> Does it look like your ship's about to go under? If so, you need some anchors. The anchor of God's presence, he is with you. The angel of God whose I am and whose I serve stood beside me. The anchor of God's ownership, you are his possession. The God whom I, whose I am protects me. The anchor that comes through serving God the God whom I serve protects me. The anchor of faith, so keep your courage, folks. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. How many times have you flipped through your Bible and said, seen exactly those words? I will protect you. I am all you need. It will happen just as he told me. See, with anchors like this, God's servants will stand strong and true. We don't have to continue on in our ho-hum, boring lives. We have time to go and do things. We're able to go and invest in our time with our friends, our family. But know that when we do, their storms will affect us their storms will encourage us to encourage them. It'll motivate us. I mean, we just had a friend who their their house almost burnt down. Thank God it didn't, but still, that's an effect. I know that each and every one of us have stories of people who've gone through things and where we're able, were we able to stand with them as God does, or did we just say, yeah, I'm sorry, but then let them on their own devices? Encourage those around you, your friends, your family. Lift them up because you're the ones that they look to. But be, like I said, be, be encouraged because God gives us all his spirit. God gives us his will to want to continue on. They call out the human spirit to drive home the will to live, the will to survive. That's nah, God's spirit. Otherwise, we would have gave up a long time ago. We would have saw that storm and said, nope. Turned right around. But encouragement shows us that we can look at that storm and say, yep, there it is. Next. Be encouraged. Life throws us curveballs. This world is not made 
just for our pleasure. It was also tainted by the enemy to deceive you, to bring you down to its will. It's not God's plan. We know that. He's told us that. Be encouraged. Storms come, but they also go. It's how we get through them is what matters, right? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, Father, thank you for being with us as we navigate these storms. Storms in our lives, storms that come and go, Father, but each and every one of them is an uh, example to us. How we're to be shaped and how we're to be uh, you know, encouraged by your ever-presence. Ever Lord, thank you for this day and thank you for each and every moment that you give us. Thank you for giving us the time to spend with our friends and our family to encourage them that they also may encourage us. The fact that we stand together under Christ as he gives us his spirit and his love because of his sacrifice on that cross, Lord, that, that each and every one of us can bow to him and say, thank you, Lord, for giving me what you've given me. It may not be easy. We know that you said it wouldn't be. But friends, I ask you, if you have never asked Lord God to be in your life, Christ to come to your life, I ask you to do it right now. Get on your knees and ask him, Lord Father, forgive me for I have sinned. But your Lord Father, with your gracious, precious blood, I can be washed as white as snow. I can be forgiven for all of my sins and everything that I've done and everything I've thought about doing, Lord, that you would just give themselves to you. Father, Lord, thank you for that, that blessing and thank you for continuing to give you that bless, give us that blessing and the courage to stand up to this storm that we call life. Thank you again, always in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, check out our website at www.silverlakebaptist.org.